And so you can do something just from the, the privacy of your own home. You don't have to go out. So there's lots of opportunities. So again, please sign up. You can volunteer today. So, all right, now we're going to transition and we're going to look into God's word. And, uh, and when I do this, I always want to give a special greeting to our kids. Um, kids, those of you, I know a lot of you are sitting with your folks and you're, you're sitting during the service. And I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited to be able to interact with you to let you know before we talk about this, what we're actually going to be, going to be talking about. Um, today, we're going to talk about something amazing. We're going to be talking about champions. Champions. Um, you know, what are champions? Champions are, they're the winners. Um, and champions are something more, though, than just winners. Like in the best stories that are told, champions are the ones who actually go out and fight for others. So think about this. When someone's attacking you, if you have a champion, you can send out your champion. That champion fights for you. And if he wins, then you win. That's kind of how it works with champions. And so today we're going to see in the Bible that God has champions, which is kind of different, right? Because you think, wait, wait, no, no, God is our champion. But actually in the Bible, God has champions. And these are people who actually go out and fight for him. Okay, and so today we're going to see not just that the Bible has champions, but we're going to see that when we suffer, when bad things happen to us, we too can be a champion for God. And so this is why our message is titled that suffering makes us champions. Now, it sounds a bit crazy, right? It sounds a little bit off. What are we going to talk about? Well, this is why when we talk about suffering, um, we have to do it in a series because this, what we're going to talk about today isn't the only thing that the Bible says about suffering. The Bible doesn't just have one thing to say. It says lots of things. And so our series is called Why? Because that's what we ask when we suffer. We ask why. And we're talking about God and suffering. How do we join God to our suffering? And we've seen that the Bible says so much about how we can experience God when we suffer and how to know for sure this is the main message of the Bible when it comes to suffering. It's that suffering is not God's fault, but he is with us to help. Okay, suffering is not God's fault, but he is with us to help. And so in this series, we've seen that God really wants two things for us when we suffer. He wants to give us his comfort, and then he wants to stretch us so that we will grow to become leaders. He wants to give us comfort, and he wants to stretch us so that we'll grow to become leaders. And in this series, we've seen both of these things. We've seen that God is with us, that God loves us when, whether we're, when we suffer, whether the suffering is our fault or it's not. He's with us. He loves us. And we've seen that God uses our suffering to make us leaders. We become strong and mature. We become glorious, we've seen. We're made worthy when we suffer. And if you've missed any of this, you can look up uh, on our Facebook page or YouTube channel, or you can listen to it on our website. Um, you can go back over because this series, we're really trying to do a good job of telling you all that the Bible says about suffering in this multifaceted, very nuanced way. Because sometimes when you're suffering, you need one thing the Bible says, and sometimes you need something else. The people in your life, when they're suffering, sometimes they need you to remind them of one truth, and sometimes they need you, they need you to remind them of a different truth. And so, but today, we're going to see that suffering makes us God's champions. And I'm going to introduce you to, to one of God's champions today. His name is Job. His name is Job. 
when I first saw this book in the Bible, when I, started, when I was a Christian at the beginning, I thought it was the book about, I thought it was Job. Like I read it, it looks like the word Job, but his name is Job. And Job, I'm just going to summarize. We're going to try to get our mind around the whole of this book. Job had an amazing life. His life was off the charts. Um, he honored God with his life. He loved his family. He served his community and he was wealthy. He was successful. He was honored by the community. He was a generous blessing to other people. I mean, he was the person that everybody wanted to be. Um, and then in the book of Job, we see that he lost it all. He lost everything. Tragedy struck and he lost all of his wealth, his crops, his cattle, his business, and in a freak and tragic accident, he lost all of his sons and daughters. They were all killed. And Job ends up with this slew of tragedy that hits him, this suffering that hits him like a wave after wave after wave. He ends up sitting in the ashes. He's covered with boils and sores all over his body. And he has to use a jagged piece of clay pottery to try to itch himself just to get a little bit of relief. I mean, it's awful, but even then it gets worse because after all of this comes on Job, Job's wife, his own wife comes to him and says something. It's in your bulletin um, in Job 2 verse 9. It's the second set of verses there. It says this, it says, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. So Job's wife tells him to give up on God and to give up on life. And that is very often the response that we feel inside when we suffer. It's sometimes what people that know us would tell us about our Christianity. And so his wife says, give up. Well, then Job has these three friends who show up and they spend, count it, 34 chapters. It's just about the entire book. They show up and they spend 34 chapters arguing with Job and accusing him of doing something wrong. They show up and their message is, hey, we all know that God is good. You know this too, Job. We all know that God is good. He blesses good people and he curses bad people. So therefore... Job, you must have done something to deserve this. And so even Job's community adds to his suffering. And Job argues back with his friends. This is why it takes 34 chapters, because Job gives a speech, and then a friend one talks, and then friend two talks, then friend three talks, and then Job talks, and then friend one and two and three. And it goes on and on and on. And Job is just arguing with his friends saying, look, I haven't done anything to deserve this. Like, I get it. I know what you're saying. I understand. But like, all I can tell you is that I didn't do anything wrong. And as you read this, it's confusing because, well, you just, it's hard to remember who's talking. And when you kind of go through it, it's just challenging. Like, wait, wait, who's, wait, what's this guy's name and who's this? And so it's a little bit confusing, but it's also frustrating because you're wondering what is really going on? Like, what's really happening here? And if, and if you're reading the book from the beginning, we actually, as the readers, we actually get to see that something else is going on. There is something happening in this behind the scenes. And what is happening behind the scenes, I think is going to make 
many of you angry. Like, I don't think you're going to like what's happening behind the scenes. And so we're going to read Job 1, verses 6 through 12. It's the first paragraph in your bulletin. We're going to look at this and talk about it. So Job 1, verse 6 through 12, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So the sons of God are the angels, and Satan is a fallen angel. And so they're all, they're presenting themselves for the Lord, and Satan is there. Verse 7, the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from growing to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Verse 8, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Verse nine, then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Verse 12, and the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only do not, I'm sorry, only against him, do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So this is one of these passages that you read and you're like, wait, 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 what? Wait, wait, what, what, what is this? Like, what is this conversation? Like, are you serious? First of all, what's the devil doing up in heaven, right? How did that happen? How does a Satan get up into heaven? How does that work? Well, the Bible doesn't answer that question here, uh, but the Bible does answer it actually in the book of Revelation, all the way at the end of the book. We'll look at that later on. But the devil was in heaven. The Satan was in heaven accusing God's people. And actually, that's what the word Satan means. The word Satan isn't just a name. It's a title. It's the accuser. And so he's up there accusing but still, you're like, fine, okay, so that's, that's an answer. But what, what's happening here? Like, this is ridiculous, isn't it? It's like God and the devil are literally in heaven playing games with people's lives. Right? That's what it looks like, right? How can God do this? And if you're thinking that at this point in the story, I wouldn't blame you. I wouldn't blame you. Like, is Job just a pawn in their game? I mean, it's like God is bragging about Job, like Job's on his fantasy football team, and he's like his best scorer. And then the devil's like, well, yeah, it's not fair, though, because you're giving him all these superpowers. And so, of course, you're outscoring me in this game, right? Like, it's totally not fair. You stack the deck. What the heck is going on here? But then, wait, hold on. It, it's worse. It's worse, isn't it? Because beyond Job's story, is this what's going on behind the scenes in our lives? Is God doing the same thing for us? Is there some game going on upstairs where like God is just toying with us and, and the suffering that's happening? Like, is that what's happening for us? If you're wondering that, then you are now in the place where Job was. In your suffering, when you begin to wonder like, why, what's going on? That's where Job was. He had no idea what was going on. But it's remarkable because Job responded to the suffering in his life 
without knowing anything that was going on, he responded really in three main ways to the tragedies that hit him. And so we're going to look briefly at these three responses that Job has, and then we're going to see God's final explanation. Because at the end of this book, God comes and explains himself in a way that I'm going to guess most of you think you know, but you don't. Okay? So, and if you can grasp Job's responses and then God's explanation, it will change your life. Promise, guarantee, money back if it doesn't work. Seriously, like, if you, it'll change how you see your suffering. It'll change how you see yourself. And so Job's three reactions demonstrate the most mature faith in suffering. So Job has this inspiring faith, and it shows itself in three expressions. So for the rest of the book, before God shows up, God resp- Job responds in three ways. He worshiped, he lamented, and he hoped. Job worshiped, he lamented, and he hoped. And those three pieces make up the most robust and mature of faith in God. So I'm going to share with you just a couple of these things. We don't have time to look at all these places where where they show up in Job, so I'm going to refer to some of them. But i got to tell you the first one, Job worshipped. Job worshipped. This is astonishing to me. Okay, this is Job 1, verses 20 to 22. It's in your bulletin if you want to look there. But it says this. This is after all of the suffering came upon Job. It said, Job, then Job arose, he tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell on the ground and he wept like a baby and he despaired and he doubted and he cursed, right? No, that's not what it says. It says he arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground and worshiped. Job worshipped. That was not the word I expected to see at the end of this sentence. Job worshipped. Job worshipped in the midst of it all. Job worshipped. Verse 21, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job is saying here, when God gives, I worship him. When God takes away, I worship him. Verse 22, in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So Job didn't sin. He didn't accuse God. He says, remarkable. And Job's reaction, it opens up a door to us to worship God when we're suffering. Like here's an example of someone who has suffered. I'm going to guess, well, with some of you, maybe you could connect to this. But I mean, Job suffered worse than we did, and this is how he's responding. And if he can respond, then we as God's people who have God's spirit, worship can come forth from us. I mean, the good news is is if you've been here Again, either here physically or online, if you were able to sing and worship, then you've already done this. And so in the midst of your suffering, this is why we say when you come, there's really two ways you can bring your suffering to worship. You can sort of leave it at the door. 
and enter in and remember that God loves you and that he cares for you. And there's this whole other reality of God in your relationship with him. And you can leave your suffering behind and just remember all of the good news of Jesus. Or you could come in and just bring your suffering with you. And you can say, God, this is awful. God, this is painful. God, this is confusing. God, I'm angry. God, I'm frustrated. God, I'm struggling. But I'm going to worship you anyways. But I'm still here because you are here. And so again, this opens a door for us. This is one reason why Sunday worship is so important. Because if you come and you participate, you're not just here going through the motions. We're not just here doing ritual stuff. We're here because... It's important for you to worship in your suffering because that's what the most mature faith does. Look at what Job says to his wife. This is Job 2, verse 10. This is after she says, what are you doing? Why do you still have your integrity? Curse God and die. Job 2, 10, he said to her, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Again, this is incredible faith that worships. He's hurting, but he continues to worship God, even in the face of ridicule from his wife, scorn from his friends. He worshiped God in good times and in bad. And so he invites us to worship God in our good times and our bad. Okay, second. Now, it's not just worship. There's, there's more than just one piece to the most mature faith. Second is that Job lamented. Job lamented. I didn't put this in your bulletin, so, but this is, Job spends an entire chapter. There's a whole chapter. It's 26 verses long, and the entire chapter is Job saying over and over and over and over and over again. You want to know what he says? He says, I wish I was never born. Job says, I wish I was never born. And the thing that excites me about this is that Job's unbelievable faith, his mature faith, includes honest lament. It includes honest lament. Do you know what lament is? So complaining is us and our circumstances against God, right? That's what we do when we complain. It's us and our circumstances and we're against God with them. Lament is us and God against our circumstances. Okay, lament is when we are with God and we're being honest that things aren't the way we want them to be. We're being honest with God. And so for Job to spend an entire chapter, he goes to God with his pain and poured out his heart. Sometimes people think that Christians aren't affected by suffering, that mature faith, well, you know, you'd trust God because God's in control, right? So why are you angry? Why are you frustrated? Why are you suffering? And it's like, well, that's just not how God thinks about it. God says, bring all your pain and your frustration and tell me about it. Come to me. It's part of being faith-filled. It's being honest. It's painfully crying out to God because you want God with you in your pain. So Job worships, Job laments, and then third, Job hoped. And again, if you read the book, you can see hope spurring up in Job. He had hope. He had this sure future. He knew, he knew that God was there. He knew, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. He's like, I know that in my flesh, there's coming a time when I'm going to see God again. And so Job knows, he's got this sure hope that his suffering will end, that God is real. 
So I say that to you all. We can know that God is with you in your suffering, that your suffering is heading somewhere. Even if you don't know what it is yet, I'm going to tell you in a second, but you don't know yet. You don't know yet. And so in this, we can hope in the future, and that hope sustains us. There's one last thing that Job says um, in his argument with his friends. This is in chapter 31. It's verse 35, and it's key for us to understand how the book ends. He says this. He says, oh, that I had one to hear me. So he's like, I just wish somebody would be hearing me. I wish someone was listening. And then he says, here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. And he says, oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. He's like, dang it, I wish I had the accusation that's been written against me. I wish I could see what, is being, what I'm being accused of. And when he uses this word adversary in this verse, you think, wait a second, hold on. There is an adversary in this book. Um, again, in the Bible, the word Satan means adversary. So you wonder, wait, if he's calling out, wanting the indictment written by his adversary, is it possible that Job's faith is piercing the darkness? Is it possible that Job's faith, that his lamenting, that his worshiping, that his hoping is piercing through the silence and he's beginning to think that maybe there is something else going on? Well, for you, you're here. God wants with his word to give you an answer. He wants to let you know what's going on behind the scenes of your suffering. And so into Job's faith, God finally speaks. And God starts speaking in Job chapter 38. And I got to tell you, it's kind of a funny story. Years ago, my son Ryan and I were reading the book of Job, about a chapter a day we were reading through it. And, and, and during that time, this was, I don't know, shoot, six, seven years ago, Ryan was young. And, um, and while we're reading this book, Ryan would say stuff like, why is God doing this? Like, what is he doing? And I'd say, well, we don't know yet. And he's like, well, when are we going to find out? And I'm like, not till chapter 38. And you go, oh, you know, because we're like in chapter 14 and we're in chapter 22. We're nowhere near 38, right? And so the day that we got to chapter 38, I was like, Ryan, we're getting to 38. He goes, yes. He's like, can I pray? Because we pray before we read, right? And I'm like, sure. And so here's what Ryan prayed. He goes, God, thank you that you started talking and that we'll finally find out what you're doing. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. So in Job 38 and 39, God speaks. He shows up, he confronts Job, and he says to Job, I mean, you can read it, but he basically says, Job, where were you when I made everything? Where were you when I made all of life and I put the universe together? God says, I am the master of life and death. I control the heavens and I know all the animals, every single one of them. And God lists all these different animals and cool characteristics of them, things that, you know, some things that you know, some things you might not know. But, and God talks about lots and lots and lots of animals. And I think what God is telling Job in these two chapters is God is saying to Job, listen, everything is connected. Everything is connected. You can't see the purpose because you don't understand the connections. Like you can't know the meaning behind what you're going through unless you can see everything. 
and you can't see everything, but I can. If you were with me in the beginning, when all of this was happening, you would understand better what's happening and why it's happening, but you can't know the meaning when you can't see everything. And this lands for Job. Like after coming face to face with God, Job's response is, I'm an idiot. I spoke, but I shouldn't have. He says, God, you know what's best. I'm going to keep trusting you. And so when Job finally stood before God, when Job finally got some of, the, of, of his questions answered, his questions actually were kind of irrelevant. Um, and so we could say it this way, that Job actually didn't need to know why. Job just needed to know God. Job didn't need to know why. He just needed to know God. Now, most people think that this is where the book of Job ends. Most people think that right after this, God blesses Job and then they live happily ever after. But actually, God goes on. Most people think that the message of Job is, yeah, suffering's real, but if you complain, God's going to put you in your place. That's, that's wrong. It's actually not true because God goes on. Job responds at the end of uh, God's speech in chapters 38 and 39, but then God goes on. He says, I'm not finished yet. God says in chapters 40 and 41, he's like, I've got something else to say to you. And so then in chapters 40 and 41, God brings up two more creatures. Okay, there's two more creatures that God brings up. Behemoth and Leviathan. Now, behemoth is this huge, powerful land creature, crazy powerful. You have no idea. It's like mythologically powerful. And God says to Job, can you tame him? Are you strong enough to do anything to him? And what God's implying is that, hey, you know, I put a leash on him and I walk him around like a puppy. So just to make sure you understand. But then, then, how does God end his speech? Right? What's the last thing that God says to Job. Well, God ends his speech by talking about one last creature. Okay, this is the final thing that God says to Job. God brings up in chapter 41, Leviathan. Leviathan. And what God says is, he says, can you pull Leviathan out of the water with a fish hook? Could you even harm him? And so then God describes Leviathan and the description is the answer to everything. Okay, the description of Leviathan is the answer to everything in Job's life. It's one of the answers to everything going on in your suffering. Look how God describes this creature. It's in your bulletin. It's Job 41, um, 15, 16, and verse 21. It says this. So just picture this. Picture this. Out of Leviathan's back is made a row of shields. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. And then out of his nostrils comes forth smoke and a flame comes forth from his mouth. Let's play 20 questions, right? What animal am I thinking of? Scales cover its back and fire comes forth from its mouth. What is this? Kids, you know what this is, right? What is this? It's a dragon. 
right? It's a dragon. Now, why is that significant? Why is it significant? It's because the rest of the Bible teaches us that the dragon is Satan. The dragon is Satan. Look at verse, uh, the book of Revelation in chapter 12, verse 9. Again, it's in your bulletin. Um, it says this, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. This is huge. This is huge. This means that in the end of God's speech, the last thing that God tells Job about is Satan. He's telling Job about the dragon. He's revealing to Job what has been hidden up to this point. That there is a dragon. That this dragon is at war with God and God's people. Right? He is revealing to Job what was going on in chapters 1 and 2. I think God is telling Job in metaphor, in mythologically rich imagery, that Job, there is something bigger going on in your suffering. There is a bigger purpose involved, that there is a war going on between me and my people and the Satan and his people. And in this war, we're fighting over you. God is telling Job, look, I know that it has been silent all this time. I know that you haven't known anything about what's going on. I know how much you've suffered. And I know how your wife and your friends have added to the turmoil and the suffering and the depression and the anxiety and the issues, the fear and the future. Like I know all of what's going on and I'm telling you now that it wasn't meaningless. I'm telling you now that there's a war that's going on between me and the Satan. He's trying to win. He's trying to take over. He's trying to get the world to follow him and not me. And I needed someone to fight for me. God is saying, I needed to prove to the devil that he is wrong. I needed to prove to the devil that my people follow me, not just because I give them good things, but because they know I'm real and they know that I love them. And Job, I looked to and fro throughout the earth and my eyes landed on you. My heart rested on you. And Job, I made you my champion. I think God is telling Job that when you suffer, when you suffer, I'm calling you to become a champion for me. that your response to suffering, Job, when you tore your clothes and shaved your head and fell on the ground and worshiped me, not only did you win, but I won. You won a victory 
for me. This is staggering to me. This is, because what this means is that there are times when God looks to us to vindicate him. This means that when you are suffering, that God is giving you an opportunity. God is coming to you and saying, I'm going to trust you with this. And will you have faith? Will you trust me back? Will you worship? Will you lament? Will you worship? Will you lament? And will you hope? Friends, every time that we respond this way, God is up there and he's saying, like the devil's not up there anymore, but he's grabbing the angels and he's saying, hey, hey, angels, hey, have you considered my servant Aaron? There's no one like her. Have you considered my servant Chad? There's no one like him. Have you considered my servant Andrew? There is no one like him. In the midst of suffering and difficulty and trial, in the midst of pain and anguish, they're upright. They fear me and they turn away from evil. They hope. They lament in all honesty, but they worship. We are the champions, my friend. We are. We are God's champions. Like this is a meaning of our suffering that comes along. It's part of what the Bible teaches. This is part of what you can go to. Yes, God wants to give you his comfort. Yes, he wants to give you his presence. Yes, he wants to make you strong. Yes, he wants to make you worthy and glorious in all the ways you respond. But you need to realize it's like when all else fails, when you're in the moment of temptation, you can say, wait, God wants me to be his champion and to say no to this temptation. When you're in the midst of a relationship that is so awful, it's so depressing, it is so frustrating, you're so angry in that moment, God says, bring your emotions to me, worship me, be with me, and I'll give you the strength and you'll be my champion. Like every single time we suffer, we can think like this. We can see God up in the heavens and see him say, have you, have you considered my servant? Every time suffering comes, every time suffering comes, the battle between God and the devil, um, it started in Genesis 3, right? There's this amazing promise where God says to the woman that your seed is going to bruise the, the seed of the serpent and you have this Cosmic battle that lasts between God's people and the people of the devil, right? And this happens, and those of us who believe in Jesus know that this, this, this battle was definitively won because Jesus on the cross defeated the devil. That was the point when, when the seed of the woman, right, born of the Virgin Mary, right? He was the seed of the woman, and he crushed the power of the devil on the cross, Right? He took everything that the devil could throw at him and he died, but then he rose again. He passed out of death and into eternal life. He came out the other side, so he is victorious over death. He took everything the devil could do to him and he came out victorious. 
right? So he does this. So Jesus crushed the head of the serpent with his foot. He crushed him and took a blow on the heel as he died. And then he rose again. But guess what? We also participate in this conflict. In Romans 16, verse 20, it says this. It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so by God's grace, when you respond like this, when you worship, lament, and hope in the midst of your suffering, you are crushing the serpent under your feet by the power of God that is at work in you. This is what God thinks of us. Like we think we're these worms. We think we're these broken people. We think we're these losers who never get anything right. And God says, no, that's not the whole story. My spirit is in you. You're made in my image and redeemed by my spirit. And you now are my champions. And he calls us to fight. He calls us to battle. He calls us to see our suffering. And again, this isn't the only thing the Bible says, but it is something the Bible says. He calls us to see our suffering as a chance for us to get into the arena and to show God and the devil that Jesus is victorious. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Job. Thank you, God, for showing us that you think more highly of us than we think of ourselves. Thank you for making us your champions. In some ways, God, it's frustrating. We don't want it. We would rather not suffer. But God, for you, after all you've done for us, how could we not want to honor you back? How could we not want to vindicate you by worship in the midst of our sufferings? Thank you for teaching us that it's okay to lament. Thank you, God. Help us to be more honest about our pain so that we might invite you into our pain and find your comfort and relief. And God, we know that this is just a short time. This increases our hope because we know there's coming a day when all of our suffering will be ended. And so help us now. God, I pray for every person here who's online. God, I pray for all of us that we would be able to now see the suffering that we're going through right now and know that we are your champions. Strengthen us to worship, to lament, and to hope. And if you're here and you just don't feel like you're on the inside of what I'm talking about, if you feel like you don't have a relationship with Jesus, today's the day. Close your eyes and pray. Tell Jesus that you want to be his champion, that you want his presence in you to give you this kind of strength. Confess your sins and he'll forgive you and accept you into his family. Just say, Lord, I give you my life. That's it. That's how it begins. Lord, I give you my life. Jesus, draw near to each of us. Amen.